think about a man bailing water out of his boat in the rain. As long as the rain is pouring at the same pace that the man is able to scoop the water out of the boat, the boat will stay afloat. Even if the rain picks up, as long as he can increase his energy and bail even more water out, then he may be okay. But once that man starts to slow down, either because of the amount of water to bail out, or maybe he's getting weaker from lifting so much water, the boat will start to fill. Now think about that man as our heart working continuously, adapting to different stressors. But if the heart is damaged or weak and is unable to work properly, then the symptoms of failure begin to appear. Today, our patient has heart failure, and you are the doctor. Welcome to the Intranetwork, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Supporting the Failing Heart. Heart failure is defined as the inability of the heart to meet the body's metabolic demands and is a clinical diagnosis supported by specific investigations and clinical findings. Heart failure can be classified in a number of ways. Is it systolic or diastolic failure? Dilated or restrictive? Left or right-sided? There is no question that heart failure is more nuanced than it may initially appear, but today we'll start with an approach to a patient with an acute exacerbation of heart failure in the emergency room. Now, when should heart failure be on your differential? If a patient presents with shortness of breath, exertional dyspnea, hypoxia, worsening peripheral edema, think about heart failure as a cause. If your patient has known heart failure, previous ischemic heart disease, significant hypertension or atrial fibrillation or other arrhythmia, think about heart failure. When you approach the patient, what are the kind of things you want to ask on history and look for on physical exam to rule in or rule out heart failure? The clinical symptoms of heart failure that you want to ask about include orthopnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, otherwise known as P&D, functional limitations in the form of the NYHA class, weight gain, fatigue, syncope, and presyncope. As a reminder, PND describes the symptom of dyspnea that wakes patients from sleep, typically two to three hours after falling asleep, due to redistribution of extravascular fluid into the lungs. With all of these symptoms, you may want to ask about their baseline and whether there has been any change. Based on JAMA's rational clinical exam, orthopnea and PND are the most specific findings for heart failure being the cause of the patient's shortness of breath on history. Keep in mind that left heart failure is required for the presence of respiratory symptoms and systemic volume overload is the result of right heart failure. It is important to keep in mind that heart failure is always a consequence of another process. This is especially true with acute exacerbations, which almost always has an identifiable trigger. Patient history may help reveal the etiology of their heart failure. So important things to ask about include the patient's heart disease risk factors, such as a history of coronary artery disease, recent or remote alcohol intake, chemotherapy exposure, HIV infection, severe lung disease, or history of infiltrative diseases like amyloidosis, hemochromatosis, or sarcoidosis. Previous myocardial infarction and hypertension are the most common causes of heart failure and are important to mention on your history. On physical exam, assess the overall patient appearance. Are they hypoxic or in respiratory distress? On cardiovascular exam, assess for the warmth or coolness of the skin, especially at the periphery. You should comment on the presence or absence of peripheral edema elevated JVP, 
the presence of an S3 on cardiac auscultation, and a laterally displaced and sustained apical impulse. Respiratory exam may reveal decreased air entry in one or more lung fields, crackles, or wheeze. Check for the presence of ascites, hepatomegaly, or a pulsatile liver. Clinical Pearl. There is a definite correlation between blood pressure and prognosis. Patients that present with a high blood pressure and heart failure tend to have a better prognosis than those that present in a heart failure exacerbation with hypotension. Heart failure is a clinical diagnosis. That being said, investigations may be ordered based on the clinical picture. They are patient-specific and used to complement the clinical assessment. An echocardiogram measures the degree of left and right heart systolic impairment, chamber enlargement, and any valvular abnormalities. Left systolic function is important for determining which long-term therapies have evidence-based efficacy. Systolic dysfunction is defined by a reduced ejection fraction, generally considered less than 45%. In diastolic dysfunction, the patient's ejection fraction may be normal, although hints for diastolic dysfunction, such as increased left atrial pressure or left ventricular hypertrophy, may be present. Look for signs of volume overload on a chest X-ray, including pulmonary edema, vascular redistribution, bronchial cuffing, curly beelines, and pleural effusions. Other important investigations include an ECG, electrolytes, creatinine, troponin, and BNP. Keep in mind that the troponin level can be chronically mildly elevated in heart failure and does not necessarily indicate that the patient is having an acute coronary syndrome. Clinical Pearl, brain natriuretic peptide, or BNP, or N-terminal pro-BNP, also known as NT-pro-BNP, is released by ventricular stretch, and an elevated BNP helps confirm a diagnosis of acute heart failure decompensation. Its concentration will be elevated in reduced or preserved ejection fraction heart failure. It is really only useful to measure if the diagnosis of heart failure exacerbation is uncertain. By now, you should have been able to ascertain whether this is truly an exacerbation of congestive heart failure and ruled out other common diseases that may mimic heart failure exacerbations in the emergency room, such as COPD exacerbations or pneumonia. identify the trigger of the heart failure exacerbation as we mentioned previously. The mnemonic we use is failure. F is for forgetting medications, A for arrhythmia, I for ischemia and infection, L for lifestyle changes such as too much water or too much salt, U for upregulatory states like hyperthyroidism or pregnancy, R for renal failure, and E for embolism, you know, the pulmonary kind. These are all things to think about, and it's important to ask about the symptoms around each of these possible triggers and to obtain the relevant history investigations. Now that you've done your history and physical and are confident that your patient has a heart failure exacerbation, you can now move on to your management plan. The core of heart failure treatment revolves around diuresis and oxygenation. Purosamide is a loop diuretic of choice, and we will talk shortly about how to dose it in the acute heart failure exacerbations. Patients who are hypertensive may also benefit from a nitro patch or nitro infusion, as the venodilatory effect helps reduce congestion within the lungs. Be careful of using a nitro patch or nitro infusion in patients who are hypotensive, as this may worsen their blood pressure. Ensure that all hypoxic patients receive supplemental oxygen. If your patient continues to be in respiratory distress despite your treatment, start them on non-invasive positive pressure ventilation with a BiPAP machine. 
Patients with heart failure tend to respond well to the treatment and can have clinical improvement within a short period of starting treatment. Monitor them carefully and reassess their vitals and clinical status appropriately. If they do not get better, rethink your treatment or rethink your diagnosis. For our Medicine Minute today, we'll talk about the DOSE trial. The DOSE trial was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2011. It compared an aggressive diuresis strategy with gentler diuresis and concluded that a more aggressive strategy tended to improve patient symptoms in a shorter period of time without any increase in adverse events. Therefore, the current suggestion for choosing the diuretic dose in patients with an acute heart failure exacerbation is to use the IV furosemide equivalent of 2.5 times the patient's home furosemide dose split into two doses. A practical point to consider here is that furosemide is packaged in 20 milligram equivalents, and therefore you may see physicians only double the patient's dose instead of using 2.5 times their dosing. Phew, you did it! You recognized heart failure, you figured out why there was an acute exacerbation, and you began the appropriate management. Once the patient is stabilized, it's important to assess the etiology of their heart failure, address any reversible underlying causes, and initiate long-term medical and lifestyle therapies. Thank you for tuning in to this episode on congestive heart failure. This episode was written by Dr. Karen Gukers, internal medicine resident, and edited by Dr. Matthew Sibald, cardiology, and Dr. Daniel Brandt-Vegas, internal medicine. This episode was produced by Allison Lai, music and sound production by Lakshman Vizantha Mohan. This is the internet work. Please tune in again soon.